Welcome into the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. It is Daniel Werman coming to you live from the Dreamagination Sports Studios. It's 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call at all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up in just a few minutes, we will have Tiffany Weimer. Really excited to have her on. And... Um, we're going to talk all kinds of, of things and really looking forward to, to, to that chat um, and to getting her thoughts on a variety of issues as well. Um, look, there's there's more legal trouble in American soccer. Are we surprised? I hope not. I hope we're not surprised because the truth is we have all of these issues Primarily because U.S. soccer is not doing their job. This is the story that needs to be talked about when we look at all of these these uh, different court cases. And that is that the, the Federation has a mandate from FIFA to sanction all levels of American soccer. Not three, everything. And instead of doing that job, they have basically abdicated their throne. They've abdicated their responsibilities and they have turned that over. They have outsourced their their duties to other organizations, U.S. Adult Soccer, U.S. Youth Soccer, U.S. Uh, Club Soccer, U.S.S.A., AYSO, S.A.Y. I can keep going with acronym after acronym, talking about all of these different organizations that have been granted authority under the Federation to run businesses, run organizations that are doing large chunks of a responsibility that the Federation should be doing themselves. And when they turned this over, they didn't turn it over in a hierarchical fashion. They turned it over and said, basically, you just run whatever you want to run. And when they did that and continue to do that, you create chaos, you create disorder, you create uh, dysfunction. And we are seeing this play out time and time again. It seems like every week on the show, we're covering a new lawsuit, whether it's d discrimination with the U.S. Women's National Team, whether it's antitrust with the NASL, 
And and now in the Federation, there's another suit that's out, and the the USL, um, which is operating at the Division Two and Division Three level, with the USL Championship, and then at Division Three with USL League One, and in the amateur space, no sanctioning, uh, in terms of a divisional sanction. There's no there's no Division Four. So U.S. soccer, if you're if you're unaware, U.S. soccer goes one, two, three, and then they just stop. They're like, okay, hey guys, uh, go do your thing. And because of that approach, you have USL League Two, which is operating in this amateur space with, without a divisional sanction. And there are other organizations that are operating at that same level, and no one has a hierarchical order over the other. Now it becomes about branding. Now it comes to, it, it gets to a place where it's about marketing, market saturation, sales. It's not about hierarchical order. It's not about structure. And none of these leagues are connected, uh, either on the same level or vertically, in terms of promotion and relegation. There is no sporting merit outside of their own organizations. So we get to a place where we have the USL, which has been professionally sanctioned with the championship and League One at levels two and three in the American ecosystem. There is another organization called the UPSL. So you have the USL and you have the UPSL. The USL is operating those two leagues that are professionally sanctioned in an amateur league called USL League Two. All three of those used to operate under different names. It used to just be the USL, which is now USL Championship. And then this USL League One is a brand new league that was was started. There wasn't anything in that space. And so that's all new. But then USL League Two used to operate under the name PDL. The uh, And so you had USL and the USL PDL. And now you have this these three leagues that are connected in that they are all part of the USL family, but there is no promotion and relegation between the three USL championship, USL league one, USL league two. Then you have the UPSL, the United premier soccer league. So you have the United soccer league. Now you have the United premier soccer league and they've been around for a while. And, um, I'm not really sure why the USL waited so long, honestly, to to put the suit to to bring this suit, uh, just because you know their their letters are very similar, their names are very similar, but the UPSL operates exclusively in what U.S. soccer classifies as the amateur space, so they have no divisional sanction, um, and internally within their organization the upsl they have set up divisions and they are executing on a certain level promotion relegation in different parts of the country and their levels they've set up as upsl pro and then they've got you know upsl championship upsl league one it very much the similar to the the usl now what I find a bit of ironic in this whole conversation in this lawsuit that the USL is bringing at the UPSL for you know brand confusion, marketing confusion. If if I was the English Football League, I would be bringing the suit against both of them 
because you're damaging our brand internationally. The championship, League One, League Two, that we have, have marketed for, for decades is, is our brand. So, you know, the USL in their rebranding in adding this third, you know, professionally sanctioned third division and calling it League One and then having championship above and League Two below is nothing more than a marketing gimmick right now. Now, in the future, it could turn into promotion relegation if federation policies changed. Uh, some of those policies include the the um, sanctioning for professional leagues. So the professional league sanctioning those policies, if they if they were altered or changed, either as a result of lawsuits or as a result of actual leadership that is pro growth from the federation uh, then you know maybe that that branding gimmick that has been put in place right now would actually turn into something uh mimicking the english football league system at division two three and four in calling it the championship league one and league two but the usl and their rebranding all they did is just rip off the english football league i mean they didn't come up with anything you know uh unique or uh anything that that was different from the English Football League. They literally just were like, hey, let's just go grab their names. And the UPSL has basically done the same thing. And so their their lawsuit is centered around that you're creating market confusion, you're creating some, you know, um, uh, branding dilution in, in the marketplace. You're devaluing what we're doing. Um, and Stephen Bank on on Twitter, he is at P R O F Bank, Prof Bank, Professor Bank. Stephen Bank uh, kind of put some thoughts out here on some of the things that that he was looking at with this lawsuit, uh, and uh, so I want to give uh, some some credit to him in kind of digging into uh, some of these aspects of the suit. And uh, one of the things that that he was was highlighting uh for example is the upsl pro uh branding and and logo that they are using is very similar to the usl pro trademark even though the usl is not currently using that logo and trademark since they're you know they've got their recent rebrand of the usl championship um, you know, they're claiming that that's still, you know, um, conflicting. And um, one of the other points that the USL uh, is arguing is that the UPSL, so you have the USL and UPSL, the UPSL is the, am is the amateur only organization, whereas the USL extends from the professional sanctioning in two leagues down into the amateur into the third league. They they argue that the word premier in in the in US in UPSL implies that it is of a higher quality. So um, basically, they're they're not merely just making the allegation um, that the UPSL is trying to um, you know take advantage of the USL and the branding and 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 the awareness in the marketplace that the USL has already created. But they are also making the allegation that the UPSL is attempting to confuse 
consumers and sponsors about what is better. And, um, and so this is, this is really uh, getting down to a, a, an even bigger and more macro level um, issue. And, and that is is that the USL is using or trying to use this lawsuit to um, to basically take into their own hands because U.S. soccer doesn't do their job, right? So I, I, I detailed that at the beginning. They're not doing their job. They, they are not sanctioning every league in this country, and they are not registering every player. Because they have outsourced their responsibilities, they've created a mess. And so the USL is trying to take into their own hands protecting their value protect because their value for for those unaware if you play in the usl championship usl league one or usl league two you have to pay the usl a fee and that fee varies based on which league you are applying for so if you are playing in the usl you have paid uh, what's you know called a franchise fee or an expansion fee and that money goes to the league. It doesn't go into the teams or anything. That goes to the ownership. That's how they make their money. The, 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 the league is not owned by the clubs. The league is owned by a, a few individuals, and those individuals, their business is predicated on collecting franchise fees or expansion fees of these teams that play in their leagues. So when the UPSL steps up, and says, hey, we're going to do this, 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 and this throughout the country. And it's very similar to what they're doing, but at a much lower cost. It could potentially, in the eyes of the USL, it appears to be that their their position is that this could damage our business and our business model. And because U.S. soccer has not created hierarchy uh, outside of one, two, and three, they've not continued that. And they basically just said, hey, we're, you know, we're tired of doing our job. We're just going to stop here. The USL is having to go and police this themselves. And, and, and one of the things that they are trying to govern or police is the line between professional soccer, as set up by U.S. soccer, and other leagues. And, and so they, they're, they're trying to create this distinction to create protection. And... Um, you know, it'll it'll be interesting to follow this. Um, and and one of the reasons why the U UPSL, which is operating exclusively in the amateur space, is able to um, do some of the projects that they're doing within their own league is precisely because of, number one, the abdication of responsibilities from U.S. soccer. But number two... It is because within U.S. Soccer, soccer policy 212 makes it possible that every club in America can register professional players. So this this lawsuit is not just, um, you know, an arbitrary branding issue. The USL is legitimately concerned about the fact that the UPSL, as well as the NPSL and other leagues, could build a better mousetrap and do it without having to go through the hoops that they've gone through, thinking that by going through those, they would get protection. 
and they would get exclusivity and they would be able to then use that exclusivity to leverage that access um, for for more money, for more revenue, for higher franchise fees. And if the UPSL and the NPSL and other leagues set out to actually create professional clubs and didn't have to go to them to become professional, then their entire model is in jeopardy. And so, um, so it'll be interesting to follow that um, and, and where this, this goes. But this is all directly, and, 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 and don't miss this, this is all directly because of U.S. soccer. So the, the board of U.S. soccer, the leadership of U.S. soccer, they for decades have not been doing their job. They've made matters worse. And they give excuses as to why they, they quote unquote, can't do their job. But that's not why. They've never wanted to do this. They've never wanted to handle any of this. Quite frankly, I think, honestly, they've never thought this would ever get to this place where it would cause a problem. And and so now that the mess has been made, they, they don't want to clean it up and they don't want to admit that they've made mistakes. But yet every week we're seeing more lawsuits because, and this is directly because of the fact the Federation is not doing their job. So we'll follow it. We'll keep following and we'll, and we'll see what happens, um, you know, as we go forward uh, with, um, you know, this lawsuit and so many other lawsuits um, that are taking place around um, the country in different levels, different things, etc. So the sponsor for today's show is Charity Water. Charity Water provides clean drinking water to people all over the world. They are, are changing lives, changing villages. Learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. We will be right back with Tiffany Weimer right after this break.
Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for tuning in today, this Tuesday, May the 21st. We are joined, and we are really excited to be joined, by Tiffany Weimer. She is a professional soccer player for FC Norchalon and also co-founder of Ductic Brand. And hopefully I got both of those, uh, those names right. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So... Um, how how are things going over there in uh, in Denmark? Things are good in Denmark. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm missing out on things are, that are going on back home, uh, for better or worse. Sometimes, but um, it is nice to live in a foreign country and get a break from home every once in a while. <laughs> so um, I I love uh, Denmark. We'll, I'll actually be back there this summer. Uh, in, probably end of July, early August for a couple of weeks. And, um, and was there, uh, last year, the same time for about a week and, um, just really, really loved the area. And, uh, and, and how long have you been with, with FC Norshalon? I've been with the team since February. We came in for, uh, the ending part of their preseason and our season will end, uh, June 15th is our last game and then we have summer break summer break and and do they come back and play in the fall or is it just mainly in the spring the fall is when the new season starts so we're at we came for the tail end of the um this season okay are you planning are you planning to stay and go back or are you still kind of evaluating options there tba tba there you go (laughs) awesome so i want to go back for a minute and you know hit pause on the on the present and we're going to get back to that um and kind of go back to the kind of your story in in the beginning um in in growing up what what made you fall in love with the game that you were willing to chase it around the world i think at a really young age um first of all my my parents put me into soccer and, and no one in my family was into soccer ever i actually come from a a hardcore hockey family and baseball family. Um, and I think one of the reasons was, you know, hockey wasn't around for girls that much back then. And if it was, I probably would have just been a hockey player. And um, my parents and my whole family, they really supported me playing soccer. They never pushed me to do anything. They never forced me to do anything. And um, I just kind of fell in love with the ball on my own. It just happened very naturally. And it wasn't until I started watching VHS tapes of old World Cups and um, professional players and national teams that I really understood how much the game could do for somebody. I've never seen um, that kind of joy on somebody's face until I saw somebody scoring in a World Cup. (laughs) And I just knew that I wanted to perform for people and feel that joy that I saw on those tapes. I'll never forget that. So you grow you grow up playing. What part of the country were were you raised in, and and what kind of access did you have uh, to programming? You know, as a as a girl growing up in in the U.S. I'm from Connecticut. I'm from North Haven, and we had a, a good soccer community, a good soccer program for the town, and I had a lot of coaches who ha- had been former players. So I was lucky to be in that batch of 
young players who who were able to have some parents who had actually played the game. I think before me, you know, especially my parents, they didn't have anybody who had played soccer and even a few generations before that. So I think I was really lucky to have people who knew something about the game as a parent, you know, because everyone's a volunteer back then. And um, I actually was able to learn the game, not just, you know, here's a ball, go have fun. So that was, I think, huge to my development as a, as a young player. And then the fact that I was um, around during a time when it was okay for girls to play with boys and I was one of the only girls to do that, I think that made a huge difference too. Can you elaborate just for a second for, for any parents out there who, who, you know, they hear some terminology, maybe they're not as well versed in the game. And so they're, they're, they're learning. When you say that you were in an environment where you were taught the game, what, what is, what is that? for you like what 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 did you what do you mean by you were taught the game or you were able to learn the game at a young age i've been around a lot of coaches and um environments where especially for girls there's this attitude that they just have to have fun and you know play games and make sure that everyone's enjoying themselves and i really think that a good coach can teach the game and you know show technique and tactics and you know the players can learn also while having fun I don't think it has to be just you know jump on someone's back or do relay races in order for players to have fun I never actually enjoyed any of that those were my least favorite practices so you 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 enjoyed actually getting to to play the game learn the game on the field and not uh go uh what was it sharks and minnows i don't, I don't yeah. remember you know all of the exactly. That's know, exactly chasing tails and whatever else that's uh out there and and i and i you know i i understand some of the that especially at the younger ages um i i do get it uh but i i i'm with you i, I love the game and i think the game itself if it's if it's taught properly can be, can be a really, not just a, a fun experience, but, but a, at the same time, you can get a lot out of it learning experience too with kids. So, um, th- that's, that's really cool. And, and you, you grew up, you, you played and then you, you reach a level where, you know, for a lot of people, it's the end of the road, whether that's play, they, they finish high school, they don't play anymore. Then they go, they do college or they don't play anymore. You're still playing. So walk us through that, that process for you and, and that mentality of, I want to keep playing. I'm going to keep finding a, a place to play, um, you know, yourself taking quite frankly, um, a, a path that has not been frequently traveled in mass, especially on the women's side of the game here in the States? I think once I was young and I felt the rush that the, that the game gave me and the unstable stability that I've gotten from it, which is, you know, if there's a ball at my feet, I feel fine. <laughs> Um, that it's really easy to continue to do anything that I have to do to, to play. And of course, if I can get paid to play, that's ideal because then I can obviously dedicate more time to getting better, which is 
the most fun part about playing. And for me to, to continue to do that has not been easy. Um, as you can imagine, the older you get, the more injuries you've had, the, the less appealing you are to coaches of, of all levels. Um, but as I like to say, you know, the game is a game. A goal is still a goal. And it really hasn't mattered to me what the level is, if it's the NWSL at the Thorns in front of 18,000 people, or if it's three on three in my backyard with my siblings, which is, by the way, the most competitive game I've ever played in. And, um, you know, I, I still get the same feeling. So, of course, if I could get paid, I'm going to continue to do that. But I think I'm going to play for as long as my legs let me, wherever the level is. Well, that I, I love. I love your mentality with that. And I, quite frankly, I wish more American players had your your drive and your mentality that you want it. You want it, and you're not going to to be um, you know denied. You're not going to um settle you're going to keep pressing keep pushing and and that quality if younger players if young girls young young boys could get that same mentality you know our our american soccer system for all that the warts that it has um if our players could could more players could get that same mentality we would be better off as a country uh for sure and and you know it would to me create better soccer it would also create more opportunities as well um for these players for themselves and seeking out maybe out of the box experiences whether that's overseas maybe that's going to a different city different state maybe it's a different team but always being willing to kind of go on that adventure and and i get it it's not it's not easy and and it is not for everyone, but those who are willing to take those risks um, and and embrace those challenges uh, can can have a, a really you know rewarding life. And and you've been playing for professionally for for what twelve years over twelve years is that right? Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you're 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 in Denmark playing now, but you you've had all kinds of experiences playing in different leagues different countries etc what what has been your least favorite environment and you don't have to like necessarily go into naming names if you don't want to but at least describe the environment for for the audience in terms of what you you didn't enjoy and maybe some of the things of why you didn't enjoy it it's, it's really interesting because there are um, aspects of the NWSL in the U.S. that uh, make it the best league in the world. And then there are aspects of it that make it, in my opinion, very difficult to play um, and, and be happy in that league. And I think part of it is off the field. You know, you have all the American rules of professional sports where you can get traded, get cut. You know, um, there's no promotion or relegation. So, you know, people probably stay on as a coach much longer than they deserve to. And, you know, it's it's got this, like, cutthroat environment, but there's, like, nothing cutthroat about it. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> but um, it's, 
it makes it very difficult to develop because everyone's trying to win and but really there's nowhere to go you can't go forward or you can't go back um so i would say that you know even though that league is has some of the best players in the world there, there's definitely things that they can improve about it in terms of just you know player security and obviously the money is is not the greatest but then you know you go overseas to some uh of the scandinavian countries and you don't have that american mentality that you know you want to be the best and you can overcome any odds and you can always win uh so i think that there's like a combination of the two leagues that would make the best league in the world but um not right now well it it's interesting that you you highlight some of the, I guess, inefficiencies or deficiencies uh, of the NWSL model. Uh, for those that are unaware, that model is basically a recreation of Major League Soccer in 1996. And it, it's pretty much the same business structure, business model, you know, a few adaptate adaptations here and there but for the most part um it was launched the league itself uh, was launched as kind of a, a a recreation of mls kind of let's let's go in the time machine back you know 25 years let's start a let's start a league for women now and let's just go roll out the same you know model we rolled out with on the men's side and you're right there are a lot of inefficiencies in that market in that system um and you you highlighted them so well and the pain that you felt and and, and by pain i'm just talking about the inefficiencies in the market I- itself and in the system um you know are are very similar to some of the things i was talking about to, to kind of kick off the show in that we see all these legal troubles within u.s soccer constant lawsuits there's another one now between the usl and the upsl and all of these things are a direct result of, of governance from a federation level. And, uh, and their involvement with the NWSL has created situations where, um, you know, I, I, was, I, I was seeing, um, I believe, maybe a year. I don't know if this has completely changed yet or not, but maybe a year or so ago, there were some on, on NWSL rosters getting paid like, you know, 10000 a year or something like that as kind of a base salary yeah. or min- minimum salary. And so, you know, when you when you have that centralized control, which is one of the big themes of MLS and the NWSL, it does make it difficult on the players. Agents, um, you know, are disincentivized from doing a quality job because the rules are in place that basically limit agents from doing their job. And and so that that's another element of American soccer that we rarely ever talk about that we ever really discuss is the fact that, you know, because of our market and our system, agents are 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 not on every street corner trying to find the next kid and get them a deal because there's there's not a really a deal to be had. And um, and so they're kind of driven out of the marketplace, which is, is a result of, of the league. So I want to flip that question on, on its end and ask you kind of the opposite of, of the places you've played in, in, in your years of playing professional soccer. What has been your, your favorite places or place to play? What was that environment like? What was, 
Um, what was the experience like for you as, as a pro player in that kind of environment? Well, this will be the fourth or fifth time I've played in a league where, you know, if we win, we get to move up. If we lose, we move down. And when you're playing in a game where there's promotion and relegation, is totally different than anything I've experienced at home. I've never felt pressure to win like I've felt playing over here. Um, maybe you watched the English the championship uh, playoffs and, you know, watching Leeds and Derby and those teams fight. It really has nothing to do with tactics at that point or coaching. Or, you know, they're fighting for their for their well-being, for their life, for their job. It's much more, it's, it's special. So uh, having that year right now, we're in a qualification league, something that actually um, does for men and women. And if the women first or second, we're back down to the division, which would be a big disappointment for the players. Club. You know, the, the front office is always talking to us about how important it is to go to the 3F, the highest league in Denmark. And I would say that when it comes to that kind of stuff, you can't compare it with anything in the U.S. And then when I played in Brazil, I will say that the love that they have for the game over there is unmatched in any place I've ever been. And it's something that even though I probably wouldn't play in Brazil again at this point in my career, I don't think that there's anything that could that I could experience for the rest of my career that was like, living in Brazil, living, playing for Santos and, and experiencing what soccer means to them in the, in their everyday life. So when, when you were looking at options and as a professional player, I want to keep playing. I want to go seek out options and find different places to play. What were those conversations like with your family? Like, Hey, I'm going to go to Brazil. Hey, I'm going to go to Denmark. Hey, I'm, what, what have those conversations been like with them? D did they always kind of think, Hey, Tiffany's going to be an adventurer. She's going to, she's going to be a risk taker, entrepreneurial in, in kind of every form and fashion. And we'll get to some of that in, in a minute, but like, even as a player, you seem to be somebody who is always thinking outside of the box, taking risks, take going on an adventure, challenging yourself in new environments. You know, what have those conversations been like with your family, with your friends in terms of, you know, where's Tiffany off to next? This is a funny question. That's a good question though. Um, well, when I was younger, I was really shy and I was like, people would say my siblings and I were attached to my mom's hip. And I think it took a lot of uh, soccer to get that out of my system. But my mom was really the one who would push me to go to overnight camp, to go on trips to Europe, to just continue to keep going. I always ask her if I should do something, and she always says yes, <laughs> every time. Um, and I think it's not always easy because that means I'm not around, but they know that nothing makes me happier. And I don't think you could ask for much more from your family than to support you in the thing that you love the most for 30 years of your life. <laughs> that That's awesome. It's an And it's an awesome testament. Shout out to your mom uh, for for that support and, and encouragement. Um, there's nothing like 
getting that from a parent and and it it's it's almost like wind in a in a sail on a sailboat you know and you just feel like you can do anything when you have a, a mom or a dad who are speaking positive encouraging words into your life and uh and you do feel like at times you can conquer the whole world um yeah. you know and and when and when you are uh, you know, maybe on an adventure and it gets a bit scary or whatever, you know, Hey mom, mom or dad's a phone call away. And, and, and I know that they, they've got my back. So, um, that to know that you have that support and, and is, is I think also a great thing for, for young kids as well. And parents who are trying to figure out how to, you know, how to raise kids who, who are not just good soccer players, but good people, and and being able to to hear the impact that your mom had on you uh, and still has on you in terms of of your career and and your ambitions and your ability to kind of get out of the comfort zone and and ch- take on challenges um, that you know like I said many have have not done they've not challenged themselves in a way that you have is 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 a is a really cool thing to see. Um, that has kind of bled over for you and and you have for, for quite some time dabbled or gone full blown into other entrepreneurial, uh, ventures, projects, etc. Um, you know, so what, what got you in that kind of, you know, leaving the soccer, the, the, the soccer player piece to the side for a second, what got you in that, that frame of mind, uh, looking at different business opportunities, whether that be, you know, a magazine or even now the, uh, the, the company you, you launched, uh, Ductic brand, what, what, what was, what was that like for you? Like in terms of taking on that challenge, being want, wanting to take on those challenges of founding a magazine, founding a, a girl's club, founding a Ductic brand. Um, one of the things I mentioned earlier was, you know, you kind of just have to do everything you can to continue to play. You know, it's not going to just happen. Coaches just don't call you and, you know, uh, offer you all this money to come play and everything is so simple. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on and obviously everyone's aware of the fact that we don't make a lot of money. So one, a piece of advice that I got from a friend a while ago was probably some of the best advice I've gotten about playing it's like, don't make reason. So if I wanted to come play for a team first division in Denmark and there's not a ton of money to be offered, um, you know, I shouldn't have to say no to that because of the financial risks, I guess you could say. Uh, so having something that I can do from anywhere was and always has been a priority because I want to keep playing and I don't want money to be the reason I don't play. And it, it shouldn't be, but that's the reality of uh, women's sports right now. And I think if players of any age can figure out how to make money in a way that's not taxing on their body, um, you know, even if it's in the off season that allows them to play for the you know, rest of the season, then really you're setting yourself to make your own decisions and not have coaches make decisions for you. If you want to go somewhere, you can go. If you want to live abroad, you can live abroad. Play for free, play for free. Who cares? It's a, you know, it's still you're still eating, you're still living. So in in your 
different projects you've done. So you had a, a, a women's soccer magazine called Our Game, and they're, they're still kicking. You stepped mm-hmm. away from that in, in 2016. What, when you started that back in, in 2010, what, what was the goal and the ambition for that magazine? What, what was you know, the why behind that whole project? Well, I actually had an agent at the time uh, who encouraged his players to, you know, do things outside of soccer. So he was one that kind of saw that I had a journalism degree and thought that there was, we both felt that there was, you know, uh, a lack of good quality female soccer journalism out there. So he kind of threw it upon me and, you know, I loved everything about it. It just at some point it became a lot of work and there wasn't going to be much financial return. So I was putting a lot of time into something that wasn't also supporting my career. Um, and that's when, you know, Duke Brand kind of really became this, um, a more tangible idea because it was something that we had a product, you know, that we can sell and now we, you know, can actually profit off of something that, that will allow both Adelaide and I to continue our careers. So um, you, you, you come up with this product and, and just for anyone out there, you should go and check it out. Ducticbrand.com. D U K T I G brand.com. Um, I actually uh, was doing research uh, even uh, this morning before the show, kind of doing some final things and was going through the site. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go buy like almost pretty much one of everything. I don't know what what all I got. But uh, awesome. I, I got some kind of, you know, pack and a T-shirt and some other stuff. Um, and and so uh, I, I but I loved it. I'd never seen anything like it uh, when I was going through and kind of uh, doing final prep for the show. And, and, and I was like, Hey, that, that, that looks pretty cool. Let me, let me get some of those. So, um, and, and what, what was the inspiration behind this? Um, you know, I don't have them in my hand yet, uh, I, I, but I, I know they're coming. They're on the way. I've already gotten the emails, you know, uh, your, you know, your orders process and, and we'll let you know when it's arriving. Um, what what inspired those products and and what was the thinking behind creating something like Ductic brand in the first place? Well, actually, Addie and I were in Sweden playing when we realized both of us we write all the time uh, journal and we have to plan our sessions when we do individual coaching and and everything and when we plan our own sessions even. And we were like, oh, it would be awesome to have like a cool notebook with fields on it so that we can keep this stuff and make it nice and neat. And so we looked online to buy something for ourselves. We just wanted one of each. And we couldn't find anything that was really nice, like a, like a moleskin type notebook. So we said, well, let's maybe create one and see if other people need it too. And we were absolutely blown away by how many others have said to, to us, I've been looking for this or I thought of doing this or, you know, um, I can't believe there hasn't been this before. And we couldn't believe it either. Uh, But then, you know, after the first trainer came out, we realized there's a lot of different coaches and at a lot of different levels and who need different products. And nobody is really trying to make products for the coaches 
and listening to what the coaches need. So we decided that, you know, we are here for coaches, for players, for soccer people who are on the ground doing the work. And, you know, we're doing the same thing. So we are just planning on making products for people that are useful and that are actually legit and look cool. And, you know, that, that means so much to us now. We are so dedicated to doing this the right way. So in in kind of putting together Ducktick, how did you and Adelaide connect? Where 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 was that connection to to kind of start even having the conversation about um, you know creating a product, creating a company? We were playing for the same t- team when we were in, um, in Sweden, and we had played together previously before that. Gotcha. So in your product line, I was looking at like. You know, you had like a coach's pack. You, had, you know, obviously I mentioned the T-shirt, um, and I also uh, noticed you had a, a a waterproof, which I thought was really cool. Uh, for any, any soccer coach out there, um, you, you we all know that you you throw your notebook on the ground uh, during a session or whatever, and you know, it's a fifty fifty chance whether you can read what's on the page when you pick it back up. So, um, you know, I thought that was a really cool thing. You also have the, the, the player packs that were listed there. Did, kind of talk about um, the difference between what you designed for uh, the coaches type of notebooks versus the, the player pack type uh, setup that you have. Well, I just, I've seen a lot of coaches who, you know, wish that they had students of the game, who wish their players watched games or wrote about the game or did goal setting, they just give them a notebook or say, write it down on a piece of paper. What is it? You know, what, write what down. Most players are not sure what to write down, which is totally fair because no one ever sat down with them and said, hey, this is how you watch a game or this is how you set goals and this is how you do this. We, you know, went through all of our ex- experiences as players and also as coaches and said, you know, how can we create something where the player is guided to know how to write in a notebook? And then, you know, when they look at it, they're not going to need the guided part. They can just use a blank notebook and use the parts that they like or that they thought were, were useful. So the player notebook has goal setting. It has some activities for mental training. It has questions about how to watch a game on TV, how to analyze their training sessions, their own games and watch specific players and things that they can look for. And it's all coming from our experiences and us talking to coaches and other players and just kind of putting all of our resources together to to create something that a player can really benefit from and really grow from um, by using it every day or a few times a week throughout their career. I love it. I I, I think I got um, that as well as the coaches stuff and and the like. I said I don't know what all I grabbed. Um, I, <laughs> I just I went through the stores like, oh, that looks cool. That looks cool. Let me try that. Let me try that. You know. And I've got two boys, both soccer players, and so I was, I, I ordered I think two of the the player things. One's uh, fourteen, one's eight. So I was like, you know, if I get one for the fourteen year old, my eight year old's gonna be like, Dad, why didn't you get me one? Exactly. Um, so, you know, I, I went through and got a bunch of stuff and uh and I'm really excited about checking that out. I'm I, and I, I am like you amazed that this was not in the marketplace and, and so you guys have found 
you know, a, a, a niche in the market that completely not just like underperforming, but like non-existent, underserved. And, and uh, really, you know, as I was kind of looking at the, the products, I was sitting there going like, well, the only thing I can think of um that's kind of like this is the typical um you know whiteboard clipboard with the soccer field you know printed on it uh but that doesn't really do the same thing of what these notebooks are and um i kind of laughed to myself because i was like you know all this time i've spent um designing i i when i was coaching i would design like you know pages and like plays and nope and i would do them like on my computer i do you know graphics and creative stuff and so i, I kind of built my own pages i never ever thought like that th it never like continued to a point of creating you know products so kudos to you guys for uh for doing it and and it looks like really quality stuff and i'm excited to get it in and, and i'm and i'm really happy that, that um you know that you're sharing kind of a lot of the behind the, th the thoughts behind your career thoughts behind uh, being a player thoughts behind um you know all of the the aspects of of starting you know a company based around you know an idea that that you found in the marketplace being underserved because i think a lot of times we look at you know whether it's you know pep gordiola on the coaching side or you look at uh, you know, Jurgen Klopp, some, somebody like that as a coach, um, or, or on the, on the player side, you know, you obviously have Messi and, and you have, you know, Pogba, you have, you know, some of these Salah, some of these other players, I, I won't use, um, uh, CR7's actual name, uh, being a Messi fan that I am. Um, but, but, uh, uh, you have all of these incredible players and you go, well, I mean, look, if I'm going to make it as a player, then I'm going to have all of these resources and access to this, this, and this. But the, tr the truth is there are multiple levels and opportunities. And, and, and so your willingness to think outside the box has allowed you to have a career that, that has gone on, quite frankly, if you look at the way systems and opportunities and, and norms are, for women's soccer much longer than it should have for the average player you you have and that is no slight to you that is a compliment to you that you have found ways to continue playing uh and and found ways to to do things that you know are not only serving you well as a player and as a business owner but is going to serve you going on into your life in your career even when you do eventually hang up the boots as a player because you, you know, you, you're building that resolve and mental t uh, tenacity to, to, to take on challenges and, and think outside the box and find creative solutions. And, you know, ultimately we need more problem solvers, not problem makers. And, and you are definitely a problem solver, your mom, your family, uh, and you should all be, uh, commended for, for that. I, one of the things I have been doing with a lot of our guests is asking them this question. And I would be curious to, to hear from you, your answer to this. If, if you were made queen of American soccer for a day and you were like Queen Elizabeth, there was no king to answer to. You were the supreme ruler of American soccer for a day. Um, 
what would you do with your day in charge with with ultimate supreme authority uh, granted to you? Uh, what what would you do with your day in charge of American soccer? Wow. Well, everyone would have to buy Deepak brand notebooks. So that's first. <laughs> um, but I think one of the most important parts of the game that's lacking in the U.S., which everyone knows but no one's fixing, is the pickup um, environment or, like, the play for fun, the play without coaches, the play without tactics and restrictions or um, somebody watching you all the time or being filmed. You know, just the just the pure joy that you see when kids play it has been lost. So I think everyone can just, like, you know, unstructure for a day and relax and maybe some good things would come from less is more um but that's only part of it and i don't think that there's like a quick fix to u.s soccer or soccer in the united states but that is something that has changed me forever being able to play pickup and play with the boys and kids from different countries, from South America and Central America and Connecticut, I think that those those environments are really what, you know, make people love the game and want to get better and want to improve, want to learn new tricks and stuff. Otherwise, they're just in a team environment where, you know, getting 10 passes is rewarded. Completely. And, I, and it, it is such a lacking piece of the culture that we see in American soccer. You go overseas and you you see that culture right away. You'll see, you know, a lot of, you know, soccer cages and neighborhoods. Um they're they're not being micromanaged. Kids are playing. They're they're um not being hounded by coaches or or even parents for that matter. They're they're just free to play and experiment and try new things, enjoy the game, you know, and embrace the game. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely uh, think you're on the right track there and you're on the right track with the, the first part of your answer, which is everyone should go out and get Ductic brand products. Um, uh, I was, like I said, I, I, I was really impressed with uh, the, what I saw and, um, you know, don't remember what all I got, but I got a lot and, uh, and, and I'm really excited to check it out when it comes in. So, uh, you know, again, that website's ducticbrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. Check them, check their, their stuff out there, um, and, and order some stuff, uh, as well. Um, it, it, I, I think, you know, I, like I said, I don't have them yet, but they look like they're going to be pretty cool. So, um, you should, you should definitely do that. Uh, how can people uh, follow you and and follow your career, follow you as a player, and maybe interact with you on social media, etc.? Um, you know, how can people do that? Whether that's Twitter or whatever. I'm on all the social media. Uh, just my name, Tiffany Weimer. I have a blog, TiffanyWeimer.com, that I've been writing on since basically I started playing pro, um, and I'm always open to chatting about anything and helping people through their careers because it is really interesting to hear so many people who want to keep playing, but it's, you know, you're basically fighting against a society, especially as a woman that's telling you to do everything but keep playing. And um, it's also, it's the same in every country. It's not just the U.S. So 
Um, I love when people come to me and say they want to keep playing and they just don't know what to do. And I can point them in as many directions as I can. Well, thank you for uh, for coming on the show and, and for spending some time with us today. Um, not only just talking about your career, but your company, um, your background, your family, all of that. It's, it's really good insight. And, uh, and I wish you all the best and, and, and luck as you finish out, um, with FC Norshall on this season. And, and we will definitely be following the TBA, uh, of, of where you go next or, or if you go back there, um, and if you are back there, may, maybe, uh, when we're over, uh, later this summer, if you're around, uh, maybe we can uh, meet up in person and, and do uh, do an interview there in person and and uh, and have another chat. So, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show. We really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed the questions, and it was one of the better conversations I've had um, on a on a interview like this. So, thank you. Thank you. And uh, as I said, for everyone, you can you can find more information out about Tiffany Weimer. Tim, TiffanyWeimer.com. Her company is DuckTickBrand.com. Um, she she's somebody you should be following and, and interacting with. Um, it, it you you do, you get the career that you make, and you know there are gatekeepers everywhere. In, in American soccer, in global soccer, they're, they're, people have to say yes, people have to say no. And the more options you can give yourself, the better off you're going to be. And she is proving that each and every day, each and every season. So um, she, she's, she's definitely one that you need to keep an eye on and, uh, and, and follow uh, because I think uh, the sky's the limit for her, not just uh, in, in what she's doing now, but what's to come in the future. And uh, she's, I, I think big things are, are, are headed her way as she continues in life because that, that resiliency is what's going to pick you up when you when you have a setback and you have a temporary momentary failure, et cetera. So, um, you know, really, really happy she came on. So. As always, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for watching the show. You can watch weekdays live at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on DanielWorkman.com. Um, you know, really do appreciate all the feedback and the the uh, compliments uh, I've heard from so many around the country since we launched the show uh, weeks ago. And uh, we look forward to continue to bring more and more guests on the show covering all kinds of topics as well. So thanks for joining the show. We will see everyone again tomorrow.